We are now live for the First Day Podcast, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, a special edition. Still Wednesday, just a little bit earlier. We have a guest today. I'm Michael Govier. That's Leanne Hello, my co-host. Hi. She would have been sitting next to me tonight, but it didn't quite work out that way. It's okay. There's no shame. But we are excited to have our guest. We would yeah. like to welcome to the show another human being who is willing to share their own experience with this thing we call life. And we're very grateful that Tracy Rogers has joined the show. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. It's a real pleasure to have you aboard. Thank you very much, Mike and Leanne. It's nice to be here. <laughs> That's for you. You deserve that. <laughs> That's awesome. Tracy, what are we going to talk about today? Um, apparently, we're going to talk about recovery. We're going to talk about my story with recovery. We're going to talk about uh, the fact that great change is possible, that life, no matter how low we get or what happens, we can turn it around and spin it into something new if we uh, if we put some effort into that. <laughs> I love that. I like that too. I think we all like to hear that stuff. It's all about connections and learning from other human beings, especially if you could share your story, that hopefully one person hears this. It does make a difference. And I know that the show has done that before. So we're excited to have you here. I want to remind everybody about the book club every Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time. You get you the Zoom link. We're finishing the sleep revolution. That's almost over. So don't worry. That won't be part of us much longer. Not everybody loves the book. Nobody that's okay. It. We took a shot. We take a chance. And if it doesn't work out, we move on to the next one. Either way, we all do it together. And if you want to be a part of it, hit us up, DM us, email the show, firstdaypod at gmail.com. And we will gladly provide you with the Zoom link every Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. All right. So let's get into this. Tracy. Where do you want to start? How, how can we uh, set the table here? Do you want to talk a little bit about your background and uh, what happened to you? Or, uh, I mean, the floor is yours. You can take this yeah. in any direction that you want to. Sure, we can start there. Um, so I'm, I guess I'll start with I'm in recovery myself. So I'm, I'm um, 11 years clean and sober as of last month, actually. So that was a nice Yay! celebration. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, every, every day it's a celebration. So every 24 hours is a celebration. Amen. Uh, yeah. Um, so my story, um, I, I mean, like all of our stories, it goes right back into our whole life. And I have a difficult time um, disconnecting the different things that have affected me. I, I, trauma, um, addiction, and mental health go hand in hand for me with my story. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, when I was a, a youth, so I had a pretty normal life growing up um, until around age 12, my parents divorced and it was not a very clean divorce and stuff. And my life train changed quite a bit at that time. I, my relationship with my father shifted a great deal. I had always been a daddy's girl. Mm -hmm. And anyways, we moved into the city from a farm. And um, within a few months, um, I was I was molested for about a year and a half from age 12 and a half to 13 and a half. I was molested by a 42 year old man. Um, he was actually a residential school survivor. I found out during the time that I knew him did you know back in the eighties, didn't exactly know what that meant, but I looked it up at the time and was able to find out a little bit about it. And um, anyway, so that went on. Um, that was, that was the start of where things really started to go wrong for me was, was right then. Um, at age 15, I finally approached an adult and told them what had happened. Um, it was my female gym teacher. I approached her and, um, I, that in that same time period, I had a suicide attempt at age 15 
And within one month of the suicide attempt, that female gym teacher um, initiated a sexual relationship with me. So the person who I trusted and went to help, uh, you know, went to for help, um, re-traumatized me. And that relationship continued for about two years or so. Um, I had just turned 18 when I ended that. Um, and that was, at the time, it did not seem that confusing. But in retrospect, I recognized that to go to someone that you trust for help and that person re-traumatizes you, it was all coded in love and help. Um, and so that made it very confusing for me to untangle that over the years. Um, I can I can actually pinpoint where my addictive behavior started. And it was, um, it was within weeks of that relationship starting, like literally in about a one month period from then, I remember my pattern of going out and drinking every weekend and doing drugs and everything started like right after that relationship with the teacher started oh. and it, it never stopped until in my 30s. So, um, and so, so this was 15, yeah. about 15 yeah, and not to interrupt you, but so prior to that, um, the gym teacher was the first person that you talked to. You didn't talk to anybody about what you were going through for those two years. No, um, uh, so no, I, I I had told two friends I told right around that same time. I didn't tell them the extent to which things had happened. Um, mm -hmm. It was kids my own age. Um, I didn't tell them the extent to which things had happened. When I was 13 and a half, how I stopped the relationship, because this person was actually physically aggressive to me, like the, the man who molested me when I was 12 to 13, um, I did report him to the police for for coming on to me. That's all I told the police at the time. And it was just so I could get a restraining order in and he would stop, uh, he wouldn't stop harassing me at the time. And that did stop him from harassing me when I got a restraining order. So other than that, no one really had any idea what had happened. Um, oh, yeah. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I, so I got into counseling right around that exact same time, right around the same time that the relationship started with the teacher, I got into counseling and I did tell the counselor about it as well. And the counselor um, didn't report it. And then when my mom, I, I eventually at age 16 told my mom about the relationship with the teacher. She went to my counselor for advice and my counselor advised her not to re report it as well. So was it so, a school counselor? It was not a school counselor. No, it was someone outside of the school system. And they made a, I don't consider that person malicious, um, but they made a really, really bad judgment call. So Yes. Absolutely. So fast forward, um, I had always excelled in school and um, I ended up dropping out of university due to the addiction issues and the mental health issues. I experienced um, long term depression, like crying every day without knowing why this went on all through my 20s and into my into my 30s. Um, I experienced anxiety. I had PTSD. Um, my relationship was I, I got married at age 19, basically the first person I dated after the teacher, um, I got married to this guy. And um, it was a very codependent, addiction-filled relationship. And it, um, it, it seemed good, um, but in retrospect, it was not. And it had I been um, sober, uh, clean and sober, I, I think I would have recognized all of the warning s signals of a really, really yeah. unhealthy, really, really, really unhealthy relationship. So yeah. anyways, the good news, though, is that um, in 2006, I fled that um, I, 
at the time I was terrified of what happened in my home. I was terrified of my ex. Um, some really horrible things had happened before I left. And I, I left with basically the shirt on my back. And uh, I, had a, I had a breakdown that went from 2005 to 2006, um, a massive breakdown. I ended up hospitalized for five weeks at the London Psychiatric Unit, uh, like not in the hospital, but the actual the psych hospital, not the regular hospital. So I was a pretty serious case at the time. Anyways, oh. that, that breakdown was the best thing that ever happened to me uh, because it led me ultimately to walking out the door and uh, leaving that marriage. And I didn't really, I, I put it all off on my ex at the time and, and thought that I had gotten rid of the problem. Little did I realize right away that I was actually the problem. <laughs> like for me, I was, I was responsible for my own choices and decisions that I was making. And, um, but getting out the door was step one. And that actually led ultimately to me getting clean and sober. Not right away. That was a mm. that was a kind of a stretched out process for me uh, to get clean and sober. I, I didn't really realize how bad the problem was. Um, I so I left my marriage. I fled. I was terrified of my ex. I uh, after being homeless, I was homeless on the streets of Toronto for a period. I got into transitional housing with the emergency um, shelter system. Um, I even fled from that. I, I, what I did was I did a backpacking trip and I got out of the country. I went to the United States without any, I, I used someone else's ID so that Tracy Rogers still showed us being in Canada. That's how terrified I was, was, oh, I was gosh, afraid Tracy. of someone knowing that I had crossed the border. So I used someone else's ID. So Tracy Rogers was still somewhere in Canada. Meanwhile, I was actually down in the United States, went and got drunk in California for about five months. And then, uh, <laughs> wow. oh, yeah, mm -hmm. had what I call the Cinco de Mayo fiasco down there in California, which involved a lot of margaritas and the LAPD and four days in jail. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, dear. <laughs> Again, another blessing, because right after that, I went to Arizona and that I met the Mormons in Arizona. And actually, the Mormons helped me to get clean and sober. I don't consider myself a Mormon at this time in my life, but God bless them because they were the only clean and sober people I knew. And they helped me to get started on that road. <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. Wow. That is incredible. Uh, we had a question here from the audience. Josh wants to know, Tracy, do you still have issues with trust? Um, yeah, that's been a lifelong issue since this, you know, I think the first broken trust was with my dad. Um, and then and the second broken trust, really, it's not really the guy that molested me. It's the teacher who I went to for help. That was a broken trust because I trusted that person implicitly. Um, mm. I trusted everything that they said to me. And um, it was it was poorly placed trust. Um, I've had problems with trust in all of my relationships. I get better, you know, opening I opened a business in 2012 and I've had to learn how to trust people by like I hire employees and things like that now. And that has helped greatly. And um, I took I took the teacher to court in 2014 and that process really helped me a lot too. And during that process, I met my now husband and oh, wow. I, I, I was able to work through those issues of trust with him in a way that I haven't been able to in any of my other adult relationships. So. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And can I, can we just do like a little bit of a timeline? I kind of, sure. so how long were you married for with that? I was married. I was with him for 15 years, married for 13 years. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. You were, oh, gosh. Okay. So, so I what that. I like to say about that is uh, like, so I was married from, uh, when did I get married? In 1992, I believe. And then I left in 2006. Wow. Um, yeah. And what I like to say about that, like something that's important to me in my own recovery is I do not blame a single other person for the choices I made from 18 years old and on. So when I turned 18, I became an adult and I became responsible for the choices I was making. I had a poor starting place. I had a really poor starting place because of what happened being, you know, um, traumatized a number of times as a youth. I didn't have a good place to start with. But I was still responsible for my decisions. So I don't blame the guy who molested me when I was a kid. I don't blame the teacher. I don't blame my ex-husband. Every day for 15 years while I was with my ex, I made a choice every morning when I woke up to stay in that relationship. That's mm -hmm. on me. And if he wasn't happy with how it went every day for 15 years, he made a choice and his choice was to stay. And that's on him. Oh, so I, what I pair with this, though, is I pair self-compassion with this. So although I'm responsible for all of those choices and I made some really poor decisions as a, an adult, I, you know, I can look back at some of the choices and things that I did and what happened in my marriage. And it's like, oh, I can't believe I, I made these bad of decisions. Right. We've all been there. Yeah. yeah. I hear yeah. you. I got plenty but of those. I have compassion for the woman who made those choices because I can look back on my own story. If I was, if I was, if I was listening to someone else tell the story of my own life, I would be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that all happened to you. It's amazing you're still alive. And right. so I apply that to myself because that the story is just the same. That's For me, the self-love part is, is actually just as important, possibly more important than the recovery piece. I would not have recovered if I hadn't have learned how to love me. Like it was really important that there was a little tiny piece of me back in 2006 when I left who decided that I was worthy of a better life. And it was a really small part of me that believed that, but it was enough to get me out and to start to make different choices and, and, and move towards my own health and wellness eventually. So, yeah, that's yeah. So I like I consider the if we're looking at mental health and we're looking at addiction um, and we're looking at trauma, the trauma happened, the mental health followed, addiction followed that at the root of my addiction is self-loathing. I consider it the root issue. Hmm. And addiction was what reinforced that belief that I wasn't worthy, that belief that I was a bad person, because that's what was really deeply rooted was that I was a bad person because of the sexual abuse that happened when I was younger. Wow. Um, I, I had something internal that really believed I was a bad person. And so to make those addiction choices just reinforced that belief that I wasn't worthy of happiness, because that's the thing that made sure I never got any happiness was the addiction. Wow. Wow. Hmm. Okay. Uh, we have a question here from Josh. Again, another one. He wanted to know if you got closure, though. Did you get closure by taking the teacher to court? I, I did. Um, I went to civil court with the teacher. 
Um, that was I had I spoke to a lawyer friend first, and they advised civil court, and, which is lawsuits and whatnot. And so I took the teacher mm -hmm. to court, and I took the school board to court because other teachers actually knew about the relationship too. So the school board had some culpability in this. There was mm -hmm. a lot of adults who knew about this relationship when I was fifteen and sixteen years old. Far mm -hmm. too many adults knew about it. <laughs> one too I'm, many, like yeah. one is too many. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. So, anyways, it was a three-year process. During those three years, I was um, seeing a psychologist for the entire time every week. And I actually saw a counselor at the Sexual Assault Crisis Center here in Windsor as well. Um, but the school board was paying for the, the uh, appointments with the psychologist as part of the legal agreements while we were going through the court stuff. The teacher never denied it. There was never a denial by anybody about what had happened. Um, and... Really? I felt like I was heard because during the discovery process, I was given the opportunity to talk about what it looked like from my point of view, what kind of um, effects and things this affected in my own life, like how it affected me, how it affected my self-esteem, how it affected my self-worth, how it affected my own sexuality, like not understanding myself sexually at all for years. And that that became a, a root issue in all of my relationships that followed was the the sexuality piece that went along with this because it was abused by someone of the same sex. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. So she so she got to hear how it affected me, and that's really what I needed. Um, the result of the court case was positive. We didn't end up in the courtroom. Um, it ended up settling out of court, and um, I was very happy with, uh, with, with the result of it afterwards. But most importantly, I was happy with the results of the counseling and how I felt. I felt I got closure. And on top of that, like I remember when I first started the psychology um, appointments with my doctor, he asked me, he said, what do you want from this? Mm -hmm. And I said, I would like to have one healthy relationship in my life. If I could just have one thing, I would like to have a healthy relationship mm -hmm. with someone. And I've got that. I have what looks like a really healthy relationship. Um, so beautiful. Yeah, and and that started during during the process. We we started dating in 2016, and my counseling had started in 2014. So I was able to start that relationship while I was still in counseling and work it all out together and work through the trust issues and all that stuff. Wow, that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. That yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I, not to get into his story, but does he have any, I mean, I feel like we all have a story, but does he have where he can relate with addiction or an, anything he, like that? He does. I don't want to go too much into no, 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 no. It's, it's not personally for him, but within his um, immediate family, mm -hmm. there is a, a, um, he can a hundred percent relate to where I'm at. Nice. Um, and it's, I think it's, it's healing for him to be with someone who's recovered because he has someone important in his life who's not recovered. And um, this, this helps to heal that area for him, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't know if you would bring this up, but I would love you to. Um, so you wrote a book um, it's called, oh, you have it there. Of course. Awesome. Of course, I do. <laughs> of course. That's awesome. So motorcycles, moose and magic, the ride to self-love. Okay. So when did you start writing that book? Like, tell me I, about that book. 
Sure. So I wrote this book in the fall of 2019. And it followed in 2019, I was um, a rider in the Women Riders World Relay, which is the largest motorcycle relay ever in history. And it was all women. It went to like 80 countries around the world. Um, and I signed up for it. And so when it came through Canada, I rode my motorcycle by myself up to um, Thunder Bay. I did like this seven day trip up to Thunder Bay. And I saw some people along the way and whatever. Oh and that's where yeah, that's where I met the relay was up in Thunder Bay. And then I was on the relay for three full days. I did Thunder Bay to Wawa, then Wawa to Perry Sound and Perry Sound to Hamilton. And then I went home after that. So I had a 12 day trip on my motorcycle. And I was like, yeah, it was the 15th of September on that motorcycle trip that it dawned on me. I had this aha moment. It was like, oh my God, this is going to be the frame for my book. Yeah. I've been trying to write my book since 2006 was when I first had the inspiration to write my book. That was actually part of what, it was a carrot that the universe dangled in front of me to help me on my, it was like, your life is going to be okay. Cause you're going to write a book and it's going to be huge and blah, 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 and all this stuff. But that, that gave me the hope that my life was going to improve at a time when I was homeless and horrible things were going on and whatever. So Wow. Well, anyways, so it was during the ride itself that I realized, oh, my God, this is going to be the frame for the book. I had tried to write the books so like 100 times. And what it lacked was, I say a frame, a story within a story, just writing out my recovery and what happened in my life and, and to tell it in, you know, this is in the chronological order, order mm -hmm. was really boring. And it was not the book I wanted to read. But mm -hmm. when I wrote the story from while riding on my motorcycle, it was the book I wanted to read because I flip between the stories. There's what's happening on the motorcycle and I'm listening to music. I always wear earbuds on my motorcycle and I use the music to flip back into in time. And I take myself to different memories and key events. And I talk about what happened with the residential school survivor and the abuse there. And I talk about the teacher and, and I, my marriage actually gets two pages and that's it. And I don't mention his name anywhere else in the book. And you would never know I was married except for those two pages. Really? <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And I like the way I did that. Actually. I, it's not a story about him. It's a story about me. So <laughs> that's right. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. That is, well, awesome. you don't need to be in there. Yeah. So, so when I got back from the motorcycle trip, I wrote this book like very quickly and then I did a rewrite on it. And then I um, spent all, I spent a good portion of 2020 with two different editors. The main editor was uh, Vanessa Shields from here in Windsor, Ontario. She's an author and a poet. Um, okay. And she edited my book with me and we spent the majority of 2020 doing that. And then I got together with a local um, publishing company to do a self-publishing thing. I actually created on the back of the book, uh, where there, White Feather Publishing. Nice. <laughs> Our business oh is called White Feather Holistic Art. So I created a publishing company so that I could have a publisher on my book. <laughs> that is so cool. Right. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Yeah. And then it came out in the spring of 2021. It was actually ready and out for sale. So. Oh my gosh, that is Holy awesome. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, Writing a book is a huge challenge. It, it is a huge challenge. This is a big book. It's... um like 294 pages. So it's, it's like a legit book. Um, I've had nothing but awesome feedback about it, regardless of whether anyone else enjoys this book. I love 
the way I told my story and it's the book that I wanted to read about my life. So like just getting this was totally worth it. Cause this was a dream for years for me was to do this. And I accomplished it. I wrote the book I want. That's my artwork. That's on the front of it. That's uh, Ooh. yeah. I love yeah. that. I'm an artist. Oh, wow. as well. Yeah. Those are, those are moose antlers as the handles there. And there's bear teeth as the, on the headlight, there's a snake for the exhaust pipe, and there's a turtle on the gas tank. I'm very much into totem imagery and into healing through animal animal spirits and stuff. So, anyways, <laughs> that is so cool. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's that impressive. Is, that's very impressive. I, I couldn't have done this if I wasn't clean and sober, and I couldn't have. Hi, Carol. <laughs> Hi, Carol. Hi, Carol. Um, Welcome to the first day pod. Thanks. Carol just recently read the book, actually, and she loved it. She she put a post up and let me know what she thought about it. So that was cool. It's oh. it's available on Amazon. It's available through my store as well. But I I'd actually, I really didn't come here to promote the book. I didn't I come here to promote recovery. That's um, when I brought it up. I wasn't yeah. sure if you would bring it up yourself, but I wanted people that's to fun. know about it. Yeah. I think that's so awesome. If I wasn't clean and sober, I couldn't have done this. And if I wasn't clean and sober, I couldn't have ridden a motorcycle. I didn't even get my car license for the first time till I was 42 years old. It was I was already clean and sober. It was like in 2015 when I got my first car and my license and everything. And then, wow. Yeah, and with dating my my current husband, uh, he has a motorcycle. And after being on that for a couple of years, it was like, you know what, I need to be up front. And so I got my license. So I, I'd only had my license for like, I think less than two years when I went and did this trip by myself with Thunder Bay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was proud of that. Yeah, I was proud of that too. <laughs> that is amazing. Wow. Yeah. What yeah. an exciting story. We're talking live with Tracy Rogers. She's gratefully in recovery 11 years and moving on up the chain. I got to tell you, you seem to have so much trauma that it happened to you. However, there's an incredible amount of um, personal awareness, so self-awareness that you've taken the time to really dive into what happened to you, how it happened to you. And it didn't just happen overnight either. Nothing happens overnight. There's no quick fixes with anything related to mental health, substance use, trauma, PTSD. It takes connections, discussion, internal introspection. How much of it was your own internal introspection versus connecting with others and talking about it? I think the greatest influence is my own internal to be honest, but it's important sometimes just to bounce things out loud off other people. Um, I did a lot of journaling, like journaling was something I did so much oh. of. And it, uh, what I think, I think everyone should journal personally, because what I happens is, is you, you write something out and then you come up with the answer yourself. It's almost like you're sitting with a psychologist and they're saying, well, what do you think of that? <laughs> and you're writing it out. And it's literally exactly what would happen in a, in a counseling session with a good counselor is what happens when you're doing your journaling is you come up with the answers and you see the insights and you're able to flip things around and reframe them. I have, reframing is really important to me. Um, yeah. I, one of the things that has really helped me a lot, and it actually, it became a key during my, my court um, experience with the teacher was not taking other people personally. This helped with my trauma and with reframing everything that's happened in my life a great deal. Um, I told a story for years about how my dad abandoned me for when I was 12 years old. 
I told that story a lot. And the reality is the reframe on that is that my dad divorced my mom and he didn't know how to navigate a relationship with me after that. It, yep. That is a reframe. And, I, and you have no idea how much of a difference that makes when you tell the story about what really happened. It had nothing to do with me. Even though it affected me, it had nothing to do with me. His choices as a parent would have been exactly the same whether I had incarnated as his child or any other person on the planet had incarnated as his child. His parenting skills would have been exactly the same. It had nothing to do with me. But yeah. the little kid in all of us, you guys included, everyone, the way that we the, the child tells the story what's wrong with me that my daddy doesn't love me? Or what's wrong with me that my mommy doesn't love me? And that puts the onus on us. Like, what's wrong with me that I'm unlovable? Nothing. I'm completely lovable. What's wrong with him that he doesn't have good parenting skills? And I know exactly that. His parents are where he got his parenting skills. And God, yeah. bless, God bless them all because they all did the best they could with the tools they have. I have a much better relationship with my dad since I reframed the story and spun it around. <laughs> that is Beautiful. That yeah. was because I was going to ask that question when you had said kind of um, uh, earlier on, you were saying that um, that was kind of where the the I'm not good enough or I'm not lovable was from the trauma that you had. Um, but I was going to ask if it was from the way that you perceived the divorce, because I know that a lot of children do that. And um, you talking about reframing is huge with everything yeah. really yeah if we can reframe it Kim it, it, oh. it changes the tr it changes the whole story and the whole dynamic of the story when we when we do that yeah. yes Mike is really good with me with that because I have a very creative mind and so yeah. <laughs> something will be said or not said and I can very easily go into just this whole story about it and he's very good at saying so what actually happened what are what are you thinking what's going on and just when you can say it out loud like you said having just somebody to bounce something off of even if it is in journaling you start hearing yourself and it's like oh it doesn't sound like that in your head but it sure does sound different when you can say it out loud or on paper I, I got that realization during the cart process. So I had been preaching to years through, like for years in my business, don't take it personally. It's one of the four agreements in yes. Don um, Ruiz's book, Don yes. Miguel Ruiz, I think Don, it is. Yep. Yes. We've done that in book club. We, that's oh, one of my favorites. That's a fantastic book. And that's so true. I've been preaching, don't take it personally for years. So there I am during the court proceedings. And what happened was the counselor and her legal team counter so i didn't sue the counselor but the school board did because they knew that she knew about it and didn't report it okay. so they countersued her and then their team the counseling team sued my mom my mom was on her deathbed so she was she was literally she was diagnosed and terminal she had a few months to live at most she was yeah she was just going to hospice and their team countersued my mom they did a fourth party lawsuit against her for not from to my mom for not reporting it and i'm like but the counselor is the one who advised her not to report it like she literally the counselor she told me went. that my mom told me that i had clear memories of all this from when i was 16 years old yeah. and i'm like i'm like what and i was so angry because i had purposefully my lawyer had talked to me for days trying to get me to include the counselor in the lawsuit and i said absolutely not i don't think she did anything maliciously her intentions were good even if the result was bad mm -hmm. i said i refused to sue her and he said you're going to regret this 
So we kind of did when the school board brought her in anyways, it, it, it was kind of a regret, but I wouldn't have gone back and done it any other way because I had always considered her a friend. She was a friend of mine and she was a friend of my mom's. So when she sued her, I, I was mad and I was hurt and I couldn't sleep for two months when this happened. I'm like, how could she, how could a friend sue my mom on her deathbed? Like, this is horrible. Mm -hmm. I couldn't sleep. And then I woke up and I'm like, why am I still so angry? And it's like, Oh, because you're taking this personally. She backstabbed me. She betrayed me. No, none of that is true. She made a self-defense decision. She was totally in self-preservation mode. She would have done the exact same thing, whether it was me or anyone else. It had nothing to do with me. She was in self-preservation mode. She wasn't doing it to me. She was doing it and it was affecting me. And, I, and the light bulb went on and I'm like, Oh, there's nothing personal in this. This is just legal stuff. And I, I, and that's when I looked back at my dad and I looked back at every other person who I still held a grudge against or was still hurt about or whatever. And I reframed all of those stories into what actually happened. And not, I took none of it personally. And I, um, I still can apply this in my life to this day. People do something that used to send me into tears and make me upset and all of that stuff. Not anymore. I just, I just realized that they're just being them. You know, everything I say and I do is a reflection of who I am. Everything you say and do is a reflection of, of who you are. It has nothing to do with me, no matter how close our relationship is. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. This Fantastic. is amazing. Yeah, you really, really done the work here. It takes time and energy to make this type of change. It doesn't happen overnight. I keep telling you guys this again and again. Uh, Josh wants to know, your foundation was rocky before you were 18. Would you say that through what you've been through has made you a stronger person? I, I would say that's probably true. Oh, absolutely. I'm someone who always looks for the blessings in disguise and the silver linings and all of that stuff. Me too. Everything that's happened in my life has made me who I am today. If I could go back and change any of it, would I? No. Um, I, re I really wouldn't go back and change any of it um, because I wouldn't be the me that I am today having this incredibly awesome experience. I'm having an awesome experience in life. I do not experience depression anymore. The PTSD is gone. The anxiety is gone. I'm not on medication. I was told by doctors I'd be on medication for my whole life. I'm not and haven't been for years now. Um, I, what adds meaning to the all of the madness of this for me is that everything that I worked through and overcame, I can help other people walk through. And I do through my business, I do through my book. You know, I, I go to the house of software scene every month with every new group of women that they have in, and we do a talk on the book and we do a talk on self-esteem and self-compassion um, and the importance of that in our own recovery of being kind to ourselves and speaking yes. differently to ourselves um, and having compassion for our story of how we got to the spot where we're addicts and made poor choices. And then so, because otherwise it's really hard to work through recovery if we're still putting ourselves down and, and feeling like we have to pay penance for all the things that we did. The minute that we make amends and, and decide I'm going to make different choices, there's no penance that needs to be paid. I don't have to work off the bad deeds that happened in the past for where I am today. <laughs> oh my God. So that, yeah, that's yeah. right. So that, that, that brings meaning to it all because, you know, if you make it through the fire, you can take back buckets of water and help everyone else who's still in the fire. <laughs> that is beautiful. Here, here. Yeah. That's right. My I think I don't really look at what happened with my addiction experience as a negative because it provided so much value to me in terms of lessons about life and my own experience and how I 
how I was and how I am now and what I've learned from that. There's so many lessons that I've learned that I always say that I'm grateful for the experience. It won't make sense to some people who might say, why would you want that to happen to you? It's like, uh, you know, your sister, at least she was talking about that book. She was reading Michael J. Fox mm -hmm. and he said, he said it on the book cover that he wouldn't trade the last 10 years of having Parkinson's for any of the life he had before it. And you're, some people yeah. might read that and go, what? That's ridiculous. Why would you want to live that 10 years of Parkinson's? But it was so rewarding for him in terms of empathy yeah. and understanding existence and human relationships that it's not worth sacrificing it. The Buddhists say that to understand something, you must experience it. So I 100% agree with everything you just said, Mike, um, because it gives us such a deeper level of understanding. If we've been through something ourselves, we have a deeper understanding of life itself. And then also um, an understanding that can help others to maybe see a little bit of the light too sometimes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I also I put the link for Tracy's book in the live chat stream. So if you guys mm -hmm. want to buy it, Check out the website. I put the link right in there. It's very easy, very accessible, easy to find. I Googled it and found it really quickly. So that's good news. White Feather Arts. I like the name. It sounds uh, peaceful, yet uh, intriguing, which is what I'd like to be a part of. So, um, yeah, we're talking live with Tracy Rogers. And Tracy, my own experience, um, I didn't experience everything that you went through directly. But I've had my own traumas in life, especially with childhood parents that hated each other and divorce and a lot of frustration there that bleeds into your own existence. You don't know who to trust. And then you start to get confused about life. And I jumped fast forward in a way where I grew up really, really quickly. And then I went backwards as I became a teenager and a young adult because I was handling more responsibilities than I was ready for as a kid. And then once I got the freedoms, I was like, oh, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. I want to do whatever I want. And I also didn't. <laughs> There was a misconception that my parents had about me. I think that like, wow, he's so mature for his age. But the truth was there was no foundation at all of any type of stability. And it was all a mirage. And I didn't know that either. I thought, oh, yeah, wow, I really am mature for my age. And I didn't realize it till later on when I started to act out or do things such as using and really just ignoring all sense of responsibility at all and depression and anxiety and all these things they're all very much a part of my own story so i commend you, are, you for really being open you're singing my song there with everything that you just said um everyone told me when i was 15 years old how mature i was for my age the counselor said it the teacher said it my parents said it other kids everyone always said that and the reality was I was lying about everything to everyone. I was putting on a facade of being strong inside. I was dying and so like I was literally dying inside. And I had this whole facade um, that it, it wasn't until I got clean and sober that I began to really emotionally mature. You know, they say they say that when you get the um, sober, when you first get sober, you're the same age you were when you first started in your active addiction. So I was 15 when I started in my active addiction. So emotionally, that puts me at 15 years old when I first get sober at 38 years old. So wow. yeah, that, a lot of people say that. And I don't think they're really that far off because emotionally, 
everything that happened got pushed down yeah. for that entire time. So from 15 on, really from 12 on, all of those emotions got pushed down. They never got dealt with. They never got addressed. I had no self-awareness. I had no idea why I was so miserable. I blamed other people for everything that went wrong in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's true that some adults made some really poor choices. It definitely had an effect on my life. But at some point, the responsibility was on me to see a counselor or to get sober or to make some changes. And so, yeah, I, I 100% agree with what Mike's saying there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I love that the re the way that you wrote the book that it wasn't just chronological um because life isn't like life is chronological <laughs> sure there is like dates that come but we talked about this in the past that like even with closure or with any of this it's such a roller coaster it's such a back and forth you think you're moving forward and then something brings you back so I love I'm I'm going to read your book I'm very excited to read your book because I like that idea that it's just, this is the way that it comes, you know, yeah. awesome. very cool. Yeah. Can, yeah. Healing happens like an onion. It just one layer at a time and you think you're all done with it. And then something else surfaces about it and you're taking a deeper layer off and a deeper layer off. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. I completely see that. You know, if anybody who's watching this now, whether it's on replay or you're listening to the podcast version or you're watching live, what would you say, Tracy, to somebody who feels trapped right now and feels how you felt when it was as bad as it could be, isolated, terrified to speak out, don't know what to do because you feel no one will understand you, and the trust has been broken with other people in their lives. It's really hard to start that process. It's the hardest part is starting the process. It's not really, to me, the process itself. Once it gets going, it, you don't even realize it's happening until you look back later and reflect like, wow, look at that. Oh, wow, I, I'm actually going through a process and I didn't even know it at the time. But it's that it's that initial couple of days or those exchanges you have where you tell people some really tough stuff that you don't necessarily want to share. For myself, like when I'm working with people through my work, either doing Reiki with them or doing readings and stuff or doing spiritual discussions, one of the things I say is, Anybody who's got that feeling in their back of their head that I need to make this change or I need to leave, I need to get out of this relationship or I need to quit drugs or alcohol, whatever it is, when people finally get the courage to do it, the only thing, the only thing that they ever say when they get to the other side is, I wish I'd done that sooner. They mm. never say, wow, <laughs> I regret having left that shitty marriage. They never say that. <laughs> it right. never, ever happens. I got to the spot where I realized that living in a cardboard box was preferable to what was going on mm. in my home. And so, like, and that's literally what happened at first, but that was okay. I got through that. And I never, if, if I had stayed in that relationship, I guarantee you, I would still be medicated. I'd still be going in and out of the hospital. I would still be experiencing um, long-term depression and stuff. Uh, in that marriage, all we did was smoke pot. It's a depressant. And I had tendencies towards de de um, depression. Mm -hmm. So there was, there was nothing smart about that. But I would have sworn all of those years that the only thing keeping me level was pot. It, it was not the thing keeping me level. It was the thing keeping me in depression. But I would have sworn, and I did, because people said to me, you know, it's a depressant. I'm like, no, no, it's the only thing that keeps me level. Mm. Once I was <sighs> off for six months, it's like, huh, it was the thing that was keeping me depressed. Wow. <laughs> oh, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, Josh says, it's been a pleasure hearing your story and how you've been able to overcome all that you have. See, Amen. Josh is uh, 
inspired by this. That's a good thing. Awesome, Josh. That's what we're trying to do here. That's what we do here on the First Day Pod. And if you like what you're seeing, you can connect with us further, firstdaypod at gmail.com. And, of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel or your preferred podcast platform. Five-star review is always fun. We're talking live with Tracy Rogers. She's in recovery. She's lived this life. She's talked to talk. She's walked to walk. And every day is a fresh opportunity for her, just like it is for you and me and Leanne. We all get a fresh opportunity. It may sound cheesy as hell to you, but it is true. You know what? If I could do it, anyone can. If I could do it, anyone can. I had a breakdown that lasted for over a year. I ended up homeless on the streets of Toronto. That happened in 2006. By 2012, I opened my own business here in Windsor, like with an actual storefront and everything. So it was a six year from my life being at its absolute worst to my life beginning to be its absolute best. It was a six year gap. I was only clean and sober for just under two years when I opened my business. And my business is still around. We're in our 10th year right now. And so to me, if I can go from nothing but the shirt on my back, out of my mind, like completely out of my mind, um, with like no hope whatsoever to where I've gotten to in that short period of time, I guarantee that anybody, like anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you reach out for help. You reach out to a helpline. You reach out to an AA meeting. You reach out to someone else who you know has gone through recovery. You just, you have to trust one person. I trusted God at the time. I didn't believe in God until my spiritual awakening in 2006. But once I did, like for me, I call it the universe now because I don't picture this guy up in the clouds or anything <laughs> like that. I call it the universe but the universe was conspiring for my happiness. And I was able to see that very quickly that as soon as I started to make good choices, doors started opening all of the, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And those teachers all appeared. As soon as I said like to God, like I need help, please like anything but this. And the universe is like, okay, here are some options, you know? And, um, Yeah, like when I found the Mormons down in Arizona, my two choices at the time, I had a guy approach me. So I was living in the National Forest in Arizona. I'm I'm literally on this backpacking trip, living in the woods at no cost. (laughs) One of the guys I met there, he's like, he's he offered me a job stirring meth up in the mountains. And then Uh. the other option was I met the Mormons. And I was like, you know. I I don't really see me going down this path, but I know a good choice from a bad choice. And I was smart enough even then to realize that the Mormons was a better choice than storing meth up in the mountains. So I took that path. Like God gave me two options. It's like, you can go down the road to hell a little bit further, or you can can start working in this direction. And, And God bless them because like I was surrounded by sober people for a long period of time. And it really helped me. That was my foundation. When I came back to Canada is when I actually made the decision decision to get clean and sober for good. But I did it for extended periods of time while I was in Arizona. And that had never happened before in my life. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. So I have a, I have a question for you. First of all, I got to tell you, I just love you. Like you're right, (laughs) right from the beginning. Like you're one of the only people that I know that can tell this type of a story and you have smiled through the entire thing. Oh yeah. Like it that is just it's so beautiful and that is only because you've done the work. Um and right in the very beginning you said it took effort and that I that starting off with was really important because we've talked about this on the show that it's nice to say that you do the things. Um, It's nice to say that you go to a therapist or a counselor or somebody, but if you're just going for the hour 
and then you're leaving and you're not digging any deeper or looking inside at all, it's not going to help. So you talk, I mean, the book is the ride to self-love. So, um, how do you, what would you say to somebody that just says, well, I'm not lovable. Like I don't, where is the first step that you take to start loving yourself? Like, so the, the first step for me was I could not love myself, but I realized that the universe did love me. God, whatever you want to call it. Uh, something outside of myself loved me because it was treating me well. Even though I'd made all these horrible decisions and mistakes and I was a bad person, the universe still seemed to love me. So I that was where I started was with that. I read Louise Hay's books, You Can Heal Your Life. Mm -hmm. It's a book that teaches how to do self affirmations. So mm -hmm. I had been, I had a dialogue in my head for years. You're not worthy. You're no good. You're going to amount to nothing. You're bad. You're, you know, blah, 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 all this negative talk. She teaches about how I am statements are really like huge. And for years, not months, not weeks, for years, I worked with affirmations. I'm beautiful. I'm lovable. God loves me. Um, I'm worthy of a good job. I'm worthy of a happy life. I'm worthy of a healthy relationship. I am, I am, I am. And all powerful, limitless things after those words I am. And to this day, I catch myself. If I say anything negative after the words I am, I reframe that and I say the positive. It's not that I'm no good at math. I'm getting better at math or I'm great with a calculator. So <laughs> that's even, even the little things I'm really conscious about what I say about myself and to myself. So that was the starting place for me. That was step one was changing how I talk about myself. Even if you don't believe it, fake it till you make it. And I kept saying those affirmations over and over. I had them written down on sheets of paper. And anytime I had free time, I would just read them off out loud to myself over and over and over again until the dialogue in my head started to change. So like that was a really huge thing for me was reframing how I talk to myself. And that eventually turns into you making different choices, choices that reflect the fact that I'm worthy of happiness, I'm worthy of a good job. Well, if I'm worthy of a good job, maybe I need to go back to school. And I did. I went back to school and finished my degree from having dropped out of university. I did that in 2000, 2014 or 2012. 2012, I think I got my degree. Oh, my gosh. So, congratulations. Yeah. So like... So I, I had to start making choices that reflected the fact that I think I'm worthy of a good life. Make choices that say I love me. And I consciously stop myself now before I make big decisions. I stop myself and say, is this a decision that leads to more self-sabotage and more chaos? Or is this a decision that says I love me? And I, I stop because I have a tendency towards chaos, as does pretty much every person in recovery. Mm -hmm. When you grow up in a home with alcoholics or a parent who has rage issues or anger issues or a parent with a mental health issue or you move around a lot, whatever, your comfort zone becomes chaos. And whether you realize it or not, on a subconscious level, we are choosing the chaos. We are choosing chaotic relationships, chaotic friendships, chaotic choices, all of that stuff. And until you become aware of it, like now, even to this day, and I consider myself quite healed. To this day, when everything gets peaceful and calm and quiet and life is good and just the way I want it, then I start thinking, oh, I should move my business. Oh, I can open up a second shot. Oh, maybe I'll move out to British Columbia. And all of these crazy ideas that would bring in lots of chaos, I just start, and, and, it's, and then it's like, oh, Tracy, stop. You're seeking out the chaos. How about we just enjoy the peace and quiet for a little bit? Wow. <laughs> yes. I feel like no, I have no, to I journal that. on this. I feel like I have to journal. Oh, it's on very that. true. 
Yeah. So true. Uh, yeah. This is this is very common these days that people just don't realize it until no, it's, it's way, way later in their lives. It's a subconscious thing. And people are like, why all the drama in my life? And it's like, because you are the drama. I was the drama. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm the glue. You're the glue that makes it all yeah. come. You're a magnet for it. And everybody's yeah. drawn to you. So, yeah, yeah I, I got to tell you, that's something I have discussed in introspectively worked on myself too you got to realize whoa what's going on here uh yeah. this has been awesome uh, i i could do this for a couple more hours uh, i gotta gotta go take a flight soon so i have to where are you going go to las vegas i'm going to las vegas which sounds like a terrible place for somebody in recovery but i'm still gonna have a good time and i'm gonna show them that me i don't need to party with you dudes to have a good time i'm there to learn and to connect and build new relationships so i'm pretty excited about it I'm also terrified of flying, so that sucks. But um, you know, if only you one had a better time, girlfriend Tracy. to be with you. Good for you for walking. <laughs> yeah, that's all that your fault. And doing it. Good for you for walking through that fear, because I'll tell you what, that's where recovery lays. That's where your greatest happiness in life lays is on the other side of your fears. The universe has created this game where all of your greatest happiness sits right on the other side of all of your greatest fears. So keep walking through them. Wow. I agree. I, yeah, you're right. Sometimes it's easier said than done, but you are absolutely correct about that. Yeah. Josh says changing your mindset could be an absolute turnaround that many people need. This is a great story, Tracy. Josh is thrilled. He says many people cause their own drama many times. Yes, uh, but they're, you're also not the cause. It's how you grew up. It's not your fault. It's your environment. It's what you learned and you didn't even realize it. So make sure that you don't be too hard on yourself if you feel that way. Compassion. Yeah. yeah, compassion. Compassion for Internal. where that got rooted. I have compassion for why I have an attraction to chaos. I know where that got rooted. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Carol says, I love that. Uh, Carol, it's great to meet you on the show. And she says, great show. Thank you so much. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. We want to thank Tracy Rogers for joining us. She's been very forthright, open and honest. She's got a book. I put the link in the live chat. You can find that. There it is right there. <laughs> Motorcycles, Moose and Magic. I love that title. I love the artwork. And I, uh, conf I concur with my wonderful girlfriend, Leanne. You are open and honest. You're also lively. You're, you're, you're really good in this format. You should do more of this possibly because you are enjoyable to hear and listen to. And the stories you have have great lessons in them for all of us so i don't really see is there nothing you can't do um there's nothing i can't try there's nothing i can't hey. try yeah there you go way to reframe that see what yeah. she did leanne she I reframed it. it immediately so I love that's it. how you do it i, I want to thank you guys for having me on here and i also want to thank you for what you're doing for people in recovery for sharing these stories and you know what? If just one person gets helped by something that any of us say, yay. Yes. Well, I'm going to tell you, God, it's I've gotten true. help from you, Tracy. You are so inspiring. And like, I don't just mean that in like, a, hey, thanks for being on the show. You're inspiring. You are so inspiring. And I am going to watch this in the replay or listening to it on the podcast. Um, if you guys are in Windsor or Essex County, um, make your way over to White Feather Holistic. Um, you need to go and see her. Um, and I want to make a quick shout out to John Tipping. I did a post um, that just said, hey, do you or somebody you know have an amazing story that you can share with our audience? Um, and he, I didn't even know what came from him. He just sent it, I guess, to you, Tracy, and yeah. was like, get a hold of this girl. And I'm so glad he did. And I'm so glad you did because this has been amazing. 
thank you to John as well. Yeah, I appreciated that. I have one thing. This this just goes out to anybody watching who is still struggling with recovery um, or not even started in it, whatever. I just want you to know that you're loved. You're worthy of love. You're worthy of a good life. You're worthy of happiness. Um, just not because of what you did or didn't do, but simply because it's your birthright. Because of being born and coming here to earth, you are worthy of happiness and a good life. And I hope that you can take that into your heart in some way. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you, Tracy. Beautiful. That's, yep, that is what it's all about. That's why we do the show. We don't care if nobody likes our show or if we get one listener <laughs> or one viewer. It's all about one person at a time. And uh, thank you, Tracy. Thank you to Tracy Rogers for joining us. The first day pod at gmail.com. If you want to email us, if you liked anything you heard, we'll forward it on to Tracy as well. Uh, Tracy, do you have a contact you'd like to share with others beyond uh, uh, here? You, in, Instagram or anything like that? Uh, my Instagram is showing with my name there at White Feather Holistic. And then I've got a Facebook page, White Feather Holistic Arts. And I've got my personal um, Facebook pages. All, pretty much everything I post is posted publicly. So people can follow me and see everything that I post there as well. So, yeah. okay. Well, like Carol says here, big hugs to everybody. Thank you to Tracy Rogers. That's right. Everybody love yourselves. You are worthy of love. It's not cheesy. It's not lame. Don't let these people who are going to naysay you or say, hey, don't have feelings in public. Yeah, get out, get out of here. We don't have time for that. We're here to help and connect with you in a meaningful, authentic way. We're not trying to take advantage of you. There's a lot of unfortunate people in the world of personal development or self-help, if you will, that take advantage of others. That's not what we do here. This is authentic. And we have people like Tracy on to let you know that. So thank you to Tracy Rogers. Leanne, I love you. We ever love everybody else here. And uh, thanks and for watching and thanks for listening. Make sure thanks, to tune guys. in next week, guys. Have a safe trip, Mike. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.